you're on a hot date with Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. And now, it's complicated. Hello, Master Daters. Welcome back for another episode of It's Complicated. The struggle is real when you're dating in the city. I'm Jen. And I'm not Jen. So you know how you text your friends and ask them what to wear on the first date, how to respond to a text from your crush, or to weigh in on whether you should post a certain pic on the socials? Yeah, you guys, those people are what we call your village, and we think you cannot date or relate without them. Join our village because we're serving you expert guests who are filled with tips and tricks that will take some of the guessing out of the game. And make sure you subscribe and share our pod with your friends so we can help make the village grow even bigger. You can find us at It's Complicated Podcast wherever you get your pods, and don't forget to tell a friend. Let's face it, we can all be doing a little bit better right now. There are a lot of areas where we can improve. And if you're listening to this pod right now, you are probably trying to refine, enhance, mix it up, or get real about some aspects of your love life. We know how overwhelming that can feel because there are basically a trillion things to discuss when it comes to dating, relationships, and love. We're here to make that inner dialogue a little less complicated because today we are focusing on one of the most important romantic topics— sex, and orgasms. We're excited to have author Dr. Stephanie Estima in to discuss her new book, The Betty Body, and how we can use intimacy, sex, and orgasms as a way to heal our hormones and use it as a tool for self-actualization. Dr. Stephanie is a doctor of chiropractic with a special interest in metabolism, body composition, functional neurology, and female physiology. She's been featured on Thrive Global of the Huffington Post, has over 3.5 million article reads on medium.com and has helped thousands of women lose weight, regulate hormones, and get off medications with her signature program, The Estima Diet. You can hear her every week on her podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie. Dr. Stephanie is also changing the conversation around health, fitness, sex, intimacy, longevity, parenting, mindset, and pursuing excellence. Her life's passion and mission is blended modern science with ancient wisdom to empower women's health and healing. She says boatloads of sex and orgasms are important. Doctor's orders. Welcome to the show, Dr. Stephanie. Thanks so much for being here. First off, we have to ask, what is your relationship status? Single in a relationship or it's complicated? I am in a committed uh, monogamous relationship. So I don't know what box that checks off. It's kind of traditional, but that's, that's what it is right now. Awesome. We love that. I mean, any any sort of relationship status is great for us because everyone can relate no matter what stage you're in. So that's awesome. How did you and your partner meet? Oh, it's a it's a great story, actually. So he um, he actually originally was a patient of mine in my clinic uh, when I had a brick and mortar practice. And I noticed very early on that, uh, you know, like there was there was an attraction there. And just for the sake of, um, you know, doctor patient, you know, keeping that because, you know, obviously you can't have like a a relationship with your patient if you're a doctor. So I referred him out um, to one of my uh, colleagues who could take over his care. Um, and then we, you know, we started from there. We started going for coffees and walks and stuff. And uh, it sort of snowballed into our, our, our marriage that is today. Okay. So you, we talk about like work. I mean, we know it's a little bit different with doctor patient um, relationships. We talk about like work romance in the workplace a lot. So did you like because you had to refer him out. So were you like, um, 
I'm referring you out because I like you. Like how, how do you <laughs> approach that? Because it's like a way for, it helps a lot of people listening. Like if they like somebody, like how do you have that conversation to get it to the next step? And that a lot of yeah. those, those conversations are scary. Yeah. So I was noticing, for example, I would be checking the patient schedule. Like, is, is he booked in today? Like, is he, you know, is he coming in today? And then I would just notice myself much more flustered. Like usually as a doctor, you're just, you know, you just, I don't know if it's the right, uh, you know, you, you sort of have like a, you put your doctor hat on, right? So you're like, I'm into diagnosis. And then I'm also like, I'm a chiropractor. So it's like, you have the diagnosis hat and then you have the body worker hat and like what, where in the spine, where are the muscles that are, you know, so you just sort of have this different way of viewing, uh, the patient, like it's not sexual in any way. And even when, he was a patient of mine. It wasn't, it's, it wasn't sexual, but I just noticed, I was like, oh man, like, I just, I really like this guy. Like he's such a great, like I could see myself being friends with him. I could see, you know, so, um, we were, um, you know, we would, he, he's an entrepreneurial coach. So he coaches, uh, small business owners. And so we went out for a couple of coffees and I was asking him on, you know, how can I grow my practice? And I, you know, I really want to have, um, a bigger international stage. And we were, you know, having these, these types of conversations. And it was in those conversations where I was like, man, like we're such a good match in so many ways. Like I'm the brains, you know, and, and he has sort of a different way of viewing things. And, you know, our conversations sort of naturally morphed into like, I think that it's probably not best that you are a, a, a patient in my office as, even as a, as a, as a friend, because even that can sort of jar and color, you know, a patient's experience, um, in, in an office. So I had referred him out as a, more as a friend. And then when, you know, when we started being able to have a bit more freedom to hang out more than it, it, it turned into something else. It turned into something deeper. I love that. The natural progression and getting to know each other. So you had a foundation before it became romantic and you really got to suss out apparently if it was worth referring him out, you know, that that relationship was more important than having him as a patient to you. And so those choices just seem like really healthy ones. So it's nice to hear that it wasn't just you met on an app, you swiped because he was attractive. You know, like <laughs> yeah. the stories we hear these days are so just transactional and they lack the romance and the meet cute and the like story that we all want to hear. So it's fun to hear that. So thank you for sharing that. And so how did you know that he was the one to like be in a committed monogamous relationship with? Oh, gosh. I think that that, again, like that generally sort of morphed as we started spending more time together. Um, he and I talked about previous relationships that we had had, the things that went right with those relationships, the things that we had, you know, how they went wrong and what we had hoped for future relationships, you know, with, with each other. And of course, we were talking about it in the context of like, these are the things that I really want to see in my um, in my relationship. And I'll also share with you as well, before he even met me, um, he had been on a, and still is very much on a personal development, uh, has always really been into personal development. And one of the seminars or speakers that he had heard once at a conference was talking about how to call in the relationship that you want and the exercise that this particular speaker had given his um, his audience was to write out all of the qualities that they value. So 
uh, my partner's name is Giovanni. So Giovanni had written out, he has, and we, we kind of look at it, you know, almost once a year, just as a, you know, a sort of like our anniversary thing, but he, um, he'd written out 50 or 55 items of think core values that he wanted in a partner. So uh, for example, uh, is intelligent, uh, is good with children, is fun-loving, is dedicated to personal development, ex- you know, et cetera, et cetera. All the things that he deemed important in a relationship for him. And so when he met me and he told me this, you know, many, many months later, that he went back to his document, which he calls the misses, like the document is called the misses. And then he sort of went through all the things and he was like, holy shit, like my chiropractor is exactly all the people, oh like all the things that I want. And so when, um, so we, when he proposed to me, it was all of the things that he, so he, it's like all of those 50 things. And then he had added, you know, 200 more, like all the things that he's learned about me since, you know, we've started dating. So, um, yeah, so that's, you know, that that's a little fun story that I like to, I don't actually often share that. I don't think I've ever shared that publicly. So that's, oh, well, you're getting uh, a, it's, com- it's complicated exclusive, everybody. That is <laughs> very cute. I love that. And a lot of times you hear like, I mean, you know, there are some gender roles here. And we talk about that on the show. But a lot of times you hear women doing like, I made a list of all the things I want in a man. Like, we love that you said he's on this journey and that's great. That must mean that he's like, I would assume expressive and in touch with things that is like so great. It makes, it would make me as a woman feel safe, like talking about my feelings and things like that. And we're going to get into like feeling open and safe with a partner. Like I'm sure that has everything to do with how you feel sexually with somebody. Like for me, if I don't feel safe, like I'm not going to have an orgasm. I'm not going to enjoy it. Like this is all helping the process. It sounds like you guys are like an awesome match and he is open with you and you're open with him. And like, now you're going to teach all of us how to have like great sex lives too. If we could all just have your wonderful story. I mean, Jen, I feel like that could happen to you. I mean, listen, one day a girl can dream. But so are these the kinds of things you talk about on your podcast? You are a fellow podcaster and you have a show called Better with Dr. Stephanie. So what can people learn from you there? Because we've already learned a ton and we haven't even dove into the things yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a, a podcast that comes out uh, weekly and we I basically interview thought leaders either in my network or people that I think are having really important conversations around how uh, as women we can have better brains, how we can make better decisions, how we can have better bodies, better sex, how can we be better parents, you know, and the through line of the podcast is really what is the one thing that I can take from this conversation, you know, this podcast interview that I can integrate into my life to be better tomorrow and hence the name better uh, with Dr. Stephanie. So we're trying to just not be best, right? Like doctors, we have a practice. We don't have a perfect, you know, we want it. We want to help people just inch forward and be better because I think this notion of perfectionism is this sort of patriarchal construct that I think really leaves most women feeling like depressed and hopeless and like a failure and that they're not good enough. And, you know, in my, in my book, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about today, like one of the things I want people to learn, whether it's from the podcast or from the book is that you are like a, you are a wondrous being of magic. Like it's, you know, right now we are talking, our, you know, motor cortex ascending, 
you know, information down to the muscles in our face to be able to talk and pronounce all the words in our mouths and linguistically the tongue is moving and we have a posture and a heart rate and a postural tone and digestion, like all the things are happening. We're not thinking about it. Like we are incredible beings. And I think for so long, women have really been, we've, we've gotten the short end of the stick in terms of research and the literature and the robustness of the literature around protocols for women. So the conversation in both the book and on the podcast is how can we be better with evidence-based practices? And we talk to clinicians, we talk to Hollywood actors, we talk to doctors, and like we talk to all walks of life. And really, it's just trying to distill wisdom, frameworks, strategies for how we can be better. That is awesome because it makes these things feel less overwhelming. Like, okay, I don't have to be perfect. I just need to be better and do better, which is like a hot topic now. Everyone's trying to do better. And so let's get into this book too, because it's, there's so many great things that you touch on. So what is the Betty body and like, what inspired you to write this book? And like, it's focused, I mean, there's a lot of focus on orgasms, right? So like, what are the benefits there? Like all of that goodness. Awesome. Yeah. So the better, so the book is called The Betty Body and my podcast is called Better. So if you sort of just pay attention for a little, like just, you know, you'll very quickly notice the similarities between the two names and the name Betty uh, is what we call the fans of the podcast. So we, you know, better podcast our Bettys. And then it just became this sort of you know, thing on its own. Like we started seeing reviews coming in on iTunes that are like, I'm a Betty. (laughs) I want to be a Betty. And so we looked it up um, in the Urban Dictionary. Um, The definition, I'm paraphrasing it. I have it, you know, written out in the book, but it's something like, you know, Betty is a modern day triple threat. You know, she's just as concerned. She's beautiful on the inside as she is on the outside. She's intelligent. She's loving. She's quirky. She's a lifelong learner. And that's the type of woman that I am. I feel like I'm quirky and I'm loving and I, I'm a lifelong learner. And that's, you know, you it's like your vibe attracts your tribe, right? Like the people that are going to be attracted to you also have some of those core values. So the book is actually named after, um, you know, whatever it means to be self-actualized for you, right? So the Betty body is really about how you can have your best brain and body And it's size agnostic. Like it's not about being a size two. It's not about, you know, it's not about trying to fit into these, these constructs of what is, you know, I'm using my hands here. I know it's audio, but like air quotes, beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. It's about you actually luxuriating in your own skin and feeling awesome in your own body. So you creating your own Betty body is what the book is all about. So we talk about I want to talk about sex. I also just want to mention before we get in there, but we talk about nutrition. We talk about hormones and how they can become deranged and, you know, some, some of the ever-changing sort of hormonal um, uh, challenges that we can experience in our 30s or 40s or 50s. Um, we talk about exercise. We talk about, I, I propose the idea that morning routines are sexist, you know, <laughs> so we kind of get into like all of these different things um, for women so that we can really just like cut the energetic cords around feeling like failures because it, maybe it's the freaking diet. Maybe it's like the the two hours a day that someone asks you to be in the gym. That's the failure, not your inability to do that. So with that being said, um, the sex part is actually, it's one of the biggest chapters in the book. So the it's chapter six and the title of the chapter is called Sleep and Sex. And we t- I spend a lot of time really outlining and making an argument for 
why having regular sex and or regular orgasms are a means for better brain health, better health span, better hormones, and ultimately longevity, right? So when I say longevity, we're talking about how long you live and health span is basically of those years that you live, how many of them are, are healthy, right? Like there's no point to living to a hundred and you know, 30, if you're miserable for the last 50 years of that, yeah. right? So we want to be healthy for as long as we can. And one of the ways that I think we really, you know, for any, any um, healthcare provider, but even just as a consumer, one of the things I don't think we think about when we think about health is we think about how often are we how often are we climaxing? Like we think about, okay, what I eat today, how many calories did I have, how much fat, how much carbs, you know, did I exercise? What kind of exercise did I do? Did I get to my Peloton class this week? Did I do my meditation? And so even if those things are in your sphere, we often are not like, okay, but how, did I, did I come this week? <laughs> you know, like did, did I have an orgasm? So one of the things that we know, and I talk about the different um, phases of an orgasm, there's four distinct phases, um, and one of the things that we know about regular orgasms is that they improve all of your vitals. So if you, Lauren, if you were to go to the hospital, they're going to look at your heart rate. They might look at your blood pressure. Uh, they might look at your respiratory rate, your oxygen saturation. You know, they might, you know, do some other things like they might, you know, sh shine up, you know, pen light in your eye or something. Mm -hmm. But as you are regularly orgasming, we know that it improves all of those things. It lowers your heart rate. It lowers your blood pressure. It lowers your like your respiration rate. It improves your oxygen saturation, which means how much oxygen is getting all the way through your body and particularly to your extremities and to your brain. Oh. That's so fascinating that it does have so many benefits. I mean, it honestly just sounds like juicing, like all the benefits you can like celery. Well, you could actually be juicing a little while it's happening. So you could. And so ew, okay. So um <laughs> moving right along. Um so it's what I was gonna say is that it's kind of crazy that it has all of these benefits and it's looked at so negatively in like history's sake. Like, you know, it was taboo to talk about it or women, you know, if they did it, then they were considered sluts or whatever. Um, promiscuity has a negative connotation. It's like even when, you know, it's sort of a gender role thing where like men are assumed to be players and they sow their oats and the whole thing. And it's assumed like emotionally that they're trying to fill a void potentially, or it's an ego thing. At the end of the day, really, we should be celebrating it if done safely, because it has all these great benefits, right? Absolutely. And one of the things that I think as women, you know, we have the power, you know, our womb, you know, whether or not you want to have children, like that's a separate topic, a separate podcast, but you're, you are the ultimate creatrix. You are the ultimate creator. You have the capacity to create life. And if you have chosen for whatever reason not to have children, then you can use your womb to create and call in the things that you want. And the way that you do that is by having orgasms. So I, I love the idea as using orgasms. So we, you know, I sort of say sex and orgasms, but you know, really what we're talking about is the climaxing. So I often say like, you can either have it with your partner or get a toy and call it your partner and just get after those orgasms because you can now use this as a tool for balancing 
your nervous system, right? Women, and I talk about this, this is chapter two in the book. Um, chapter two is called um, Stressed Spelled Backwards is Desserts. And basically what I'm talking about in this chapter is that women are subject to the way that you know, modern society is, we are stressed out and not just stressed in the short term, but stressed over the long term. We're, you know, when we have heterosexual couples, it's typically the female who does primarily the caregiving, you know, she'll take care of their children in the mix. She'll be the primary caregiver. She does the majority of the unpaid work. So like the laundry and the cleaning and the, you know, the stuff at the cooking and all of that. And even in same sex couples, there was a consensus that I quoted in the book where the, um, the, the, in this, in a same sex couple, whoever identified as more feminine, also bared the brunt of this unpaid labor. So we typically see when we look at a male-female dyad uh, or masculine and feminine, we are typically seeing the woman take or the female take the brunt of this unpaid work. So she's always working, whether she's getting money or not, right? And then she, you know, if you are, you know, uh, if you're a woman and you've had, you know, you've been pregnant, you've delivered, you've breastfed, and then you have, you know, 18 years, let's call it, of sleeplessness that we call motherhood, like all of these things really do influence our physiology. So it's important when we're thinking about this in the context of regular orgasms to be able to... Um, uh, balance out that sympathetic or that stressed out part of our nervous system and our parasympathetic, which is our, you know, it's commonly referred to as like rest, digest, stay and play. Because what happens is as we age, if we are not actively seeking to balance out the nervous system through things like regular orgasms, then you become what's called sympathetic, sympathetic dominant. So it's almost like you know, if you have a car, you can't be in like drive and reverse at the same time, right? Or if you have your foot down on the gas pedal, it's now sympathetic dominance is almost like your inability to take your foot off of the gas pedal and put your foot on the brake. Uh, that sounds familiar because I'm a new mom. I have an 11 month old and you're like saying all these things and I'm going, yeah, I am doing all the unpaid work. And th could this be why I feel dizzy every day? Is something unbalanced? I'm seriously like cannot figure it out. I'm like, is something wrong with my prescription? Maybe my hormones are unbalanced or something or maybe because that is all while you can try to regulate some things like you're saying with these with regular orgasms and how it regulates a lot of things in your body. Like, how do you go a little deeper and figure out if there's like a hormonal imbalance where you're trying to balance everything because could that be affecting some like physical symptoms? How do you even know that you're off on your hormones or that something's in unbalanced? Because let's just say you're like trying to balance everything out. So you've got the orgasms happening and then you're like trying to balance out like your food intake and your hormones. How do you know you're unbalanced in the hormone section to start? Such a good question. And I spent the first five chapters talking about this. So we talk about all the different permutations of hormonal imbalance. And as having an 11 month old, I mean, this is a very particular, you know, very particular situation. So the bait, your baby is still doesn't really have a circadian rhythm. Like maybe there's some semblance of like nap time and stuff, but you know, still very easily can stay up overnight. And then you're sort of lugging yourself through. And we know that when you have insufficient sleep or especially when your sleep is interrupted, 
kid, which is, you know, potentially what might be happening with you. I don't know if your, your child is a very good sleeper, but sleep through the night, but I don't like, I wake up and like, look at the monitor and then I, we sleep behind him. So he is sleeping, thank God, but I still feel so tired and I can't figure out why. Yeah. Well, I think first, one of the things I would just offer is being gentle with yourself. I mean, 11 months, like he's still, it's like a still little baby, you know, like still so small. And like the, the, the physical recovery, the chemical recovery from, you know, labor and delivery. And if you chose to breastfeed, of course, that's also very chemically demanding, yes, physically, so, yeah. demand, physically demanding, in, in, in especially in those early days when you're sort of figuring out the dance of breastfeeding. Yeah. Um, but also very chemically demanding as well. So it's really, it's it's easy for us women to jump to this, like, what's wrong with me, where we don't necessarily have a lot of the social structures in place to help people take the load off. Like we used to, like, Lauren, if this was like, you know, call it maybe 50 years ago or even 100 years ago, like your mother and your grandmother and your aunt would all be either in the same house, (laughs) which is like maybe another stress, but like they'd all be kind of around. The aunt would be just down the street and like you sort of communally raise the child. Yeah, it takes a village. It takes a village, exactly. And that's where that saying comes from is our children were often, you know, mom would go and nip off, like, you know, tuck off for a nap and then grandma would do something, mom would do something, aunt would pitch in and then there'd be other children around that they could, you know, play with and stuff. So I think it's so hard for a modern woman and we have this sort of, we have this superwoman syndrome that we have to have it all figured out. And, you know, if I were to see you on the street uh, and I say to you, hey, Lauren, how are you? You might be like, I'm fine. Great. How are you? Right. Even though you're like, frick, my kid, like I'm bagged. Like, I don't know. Is my hormones like what's wrong? You know, like we don't, we don't have that, that society. Hopefully we don't have it yet where we have that openness to be like, you know what? I'm really fucking struggling. Like I'm really like, I'm bagged. I don't know why, you know, I need help. I feel alone. I don't know if I'm doing, I don't know if I'm doing right by my child. You know, like there's, we don't have that that normative discourse that I think can yeah. also make moms and women feel really isolated and alone. Yeah. Why is there that expectation that they have to do it all, then have to take care of the child, but also potentially go back to work? And like, it's just, it's not feasible. Like, I mean, I complain and I'm tired on a normal day and I just have to take care of like me and my dog and maybe talk to some people on some dating apps. But like, I I just can't imagine then tacking more onto it. Like that has to wreak havoc on your body. Absolutely. Yeah. It can really, you know, chronic stress, and I talk about this in the book, uh, is the linchpin for most sources of hormonal derangement. It'll affect your menstrual cycle. You know, uh, if you are uh, if you are someone who has understands what your menstrual cycle used to be, you know, before and after children, you might even also notice a really big jump because being pregnant and you know, child uh, rearing and delivery, labor and delivery and all that will also really cause, uh, it takes many years to kind of get that that back. So um, hormones are something that I talk about in the book. We talk about a couple of different uh, permutations. So we talk about high estrogen or estrogen dominance, low estrogen, which is another uh, you know beast, uh, high testosterone and PCOS. Uh, we talk about low testosterone, low progesterone, chronic stress, and how all these can influence your menstrual cycle. And one of the things I, I really want women to understand is that 
your menstrual cycle is a vital sign. So in the same way that heart rate we were talking about before and oxygen, uh, you know, oxygen saturation and blood pressure, these are vital signs. So is your menstrual cycle if you are in your reproductive years. Dr. Stephanie, didn't they just recognize this recently the, yes. as a vital sign? It wasn't before, but um, we Correct. had a doctor on our show in the past and she had mentioned, Dr. Jolene Brighton had mentioned that they just finally recognized the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. That's right. Jolene is a, is a good friend of mine. Yes. So that's, um, that's very true. So that was just recognized. And it's like, thanks guys. Like we've been around for, I don't like, we've been around just as long as the guys have been. And of course, you know, getting back to orgasms, we also know that orgasms can also improve your experience. If you're someone who gets a lot of PMS, like cramping and bloated and, you know, the, even especially the day of your period, a lot of times women will feel very crampy and lethargic and achy, having orgasms immediately, you know, in the days leading up to and the day of uh, your period starting can really help with those cramps. Like it improves your pain tolerance and improves the nociception, something called nociception um, in the brain. What about um, like flow? Because does that change, I would assume, like throughout your lifetime, just as your body changes, your hormones changes, like does that change due to potentially orgasms, I'm just curious because mine has changed and I'm like, what, is it a sign that I'm dying? Like what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. You can actually tell a lot from your bleed week. So I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about your period. So when you're yes. shedding the endometrial lining, there's actually a lot of clues that you can take in terms of the health and vitality of your menstrual cycle as a whole, as a whole 28 or 29 day cycle. So the, the bleed week, there's a couple things that you can pay attention to. So one is how much cramping, like some cramping is okay, right? You are contracting, like there is some contraction that's happening in the uterus to shed the endometrial lining. So some cramping is okay, but are, are you needing to, you know, take pain medication and, you know, are you out for the day? Like what is the gradient there, right? If I were to ask you between one and 10, you know, what would one being the lowest, 10 being the worst, like where might you fall? And I'd probably want people to fall at about a two or a three on that, on that 10, you know, one to 10 scale. So that's one thing. Uh, you can look at the quality of your bleed, the quality of your, so how much blood. So typically, you know, uh, general guidelines are even on your heavier days that you shouldn't be changing your, you know, whether it's your pad or your, you know, cup, if you have like a menstrual cup or tampons or whatever, you shouldn't be changing more than three times, uh, three to three to four times in like a five hour period. So if you are over five hours, like, you know, switching out the pads and the cup needs to be emptied or the tampons need to be like, that's indicative of potentially a heavier flow or a heavy flow, which is also when you look back at sort of what's causing that, we could be looking at estrogen being the culprit there or too much estrogen relative to progesterone. You can look at clotting. So mm -hmm. some clotting, again, is normal. Um, typically, the visual that I like to uh, give my ladies is, you know, if, it, if you do have clotting in your, in your flow, it should be about the size of a dime. Um, and it should be like, you know, maybe a couple of them, like two or three, and that's it. If you have sort of quarter-sized uh, quarter uh, or nickel-sized clotting, that's, that's large. Mm -hmm. Um, you can also look at the color of the blood. So typically in the beginning, you might see it to be much darker, um, darker red, more of a burgundy color. And then over the course of the length of your cycle, uh, the length of your bleed week, rather, uh, you'll see that the, it'll, 
sort of get redder and then it'll kind of go brown towards the end. And that's actually really normal. That's um, just oxidized. That's just old blood that's been oxidized. Um, so you can, there's a lot of things that you can extrapolate from your bleed week and it will change your, your, your bleed week can change with age. Of course it can change with different hormonal inputs to it. So pregnancy for sure. You know, if you were breastfeeding for a long period of time and you're just kind of getting back to that menstrual cycle, uh, you may find that it's a little bit kind of touch and go. We also see in our in our uh, beautiful teenagers, our, our young women, there's like sort of a period between, you know, 15, 16, 17, where her period will be like her. She may have many cycles where she's anovulatory, where she misses uh, her period, which is usually the time where you know, her and her mother are, you know, potentially concerned and they go to the doctor and she's put on the pill, even though this is actually a normal, you know, it's just like when you learn a new skill, right? Like when you learn a new, when you learn it to ride a bike, like you don't, you're not just a pro, you're not just doing tricks on your BMX. The same is true for menstruating, right? When you start menstruating, you're 13, 14, 15 or whatever age you start, you know, you kind of, you mess up a little bit, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's normal for a woman or a young girl to kind of look like PCOS-ish, in that age. And then again, when she's perimenopausal, like 35, you know, 35 to 50, uh, you can see a lot of changes. Uh, she's almost like a moving target really in that sort of decade prior to her stopping uh, her period because of those fluctuating estrogen levels. So uh, the, I guess the short answer is absolutely it changes with age. Um, the other thing I'll also throw in is you may also see your cycle itself shorten, right? So when we start to see progesterone levels dropping, we may see that the luteal phase, which is the second phase of the cycle, which we talk, we talk, we talk about this in the Betty body. So, you know, if you're kind of getting overwhelmed, like what the hell is she talking about? Like pick up the book. I promise it's all written out there uh, very clearly, but progesterone, if you have low progesterone, you can start seeing that luteal phase shorten. So instead of being two weeks, it can be like nine days, right? 10 days, which is far too short. You need progesterone to bathe the brain has like, it's a potent anti-anxiety, you know, hormone that helps to, uh, helps us feel chill. It has all these positive benefits. So there's lots of different things that you can do naturally from a natural point of view to help ameliorate some of those uh, presentations. So do some of these hormones that you're talking about that like we're dealing with, with our flow and the whole period and the special things women have to deal with in our gender, do those affect our orgasms? Do our orgasms affect our hormones? Is it a chicken and egg kind of thing? Oh, that's a great question. I would say that um, you still should be able to orgasm. The only um, sort of hormonal presentation that pops up is really low testosterone. So this is where, you know, testosterone naturally decreases as we age. So you may find in the second half of your 40s, let's say, so 47, 48, 49-ish, you may start noticing things like painful sex, you know, lubrication is not what it once was, um, it, and it sort of takes you longer to get warmed up. Um, and then even in the extreme, you can have with low testosterone anorgasmia. So that, which is the inability to orgasm, which is just like, you know, the worst what? thing, right? That's a thing. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. so that doesn't, that doesn't happen to everyone. So I don't want, I don't want to scare Ooh. anybody. That's, that's really more the extreme, but if you think about what happens in an orgasm. So we have the pelvic floor and we have the muscles in the vagina are contracting really quickly, right? So when you are, um, when you are climaxing, the uh, wall of the vagina can be contracting, you know, I believe the number is like 12 to 
upwards to 20 times per second, right? Whoa. So this is like a crazy amount of contraction. And of course we know why, right? It's trying to bring this, you know, if there's, if it's penetrative sex, of course, you're trying to like take the sperm and like move it up. Um, but that's what happens in an orgasm. Like those uh, vaginal muscles are contracting. And when you have low testosterone, what's happening is testosterone, one of the main roles of testosterone is to maintain our muscles, right? So I talk a lot about why resistance training is really important for women with low testosterone because the more muscles you have, even not, not in the vagina, just all over the body, right? Like glutes, arms, legs, back, like all the big muscles, uh, shoulders, the more lean muscle mass you have, the naturally the more testosterone you will require right? In order to maintain those muscles. So if you are resistance training, this is one of the, you know, prophylactics, if you will, like one of the preventative strategies that you can do to keep your testosterone levels higher um, by having more muscle mass, which is going to help your orgasm. It's going to help with your lean, it's going to help with a whole bunch of things like your, you know, your um, lean body mass and, you know, your metabolism and all of that. But as it, in the context of your sexual health, it's also going to prevent vaginal wall atrophy. So the thinning, the thinning of the vagina, and it's going to help with some of those things that we were talking about, the lubrication and to help ameliorate or to improve, you know, that pain that some women can experience during sex when they're a bit drier. I love how normal, first of all, you use the word normal like so many times. And I love that because a lot of people don't think these kind of conversations are normal and they need to be if they aren't and they really aren't. But I mean, a lot of women don't even know what a cycle is. They're like, oh, it's my period. No, that's not. It's the whole thing. It's the whole from beginning to end. And then the bleed week is just the actual menstrual, the period part that people refer to. But it's like, there's so many things you're saying that I know a lot of women, because we're not supposed to be talking about this and hide your tampon when you go to the bathroom and all that BS. It's like, I love how normal you're making this feel and sound. It's very scientific. It's very normal. This happens to everybody. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. And if you want in Furthermore, like if you want to have a good and he healthy sex life, like, or you're saying to like seek this transformative sex life, like, how do we make that conversation like a little bit more normal with a, let's say, like a potential partner that you are not like in love with and comfortable with? Like, how do you then start to? sort of open the door to say like, hey, I, the sex is important to me, or I want to talk about these things and not feel shy or embarrassed to either look like a slut or be talking about things that you shouldn't be talking about and, and really seek out trying to find this transformative sex life. Like you've got to be open about talking about it. You can't just, you know, I mean, it's a conversation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you said that because I think that so, as you correctly said, so many of us are so scared to talk about this stuff. And I think we are, you know, as a result of our education, like we are all taught, I mean, I can maybe not all, that's not the right um, word, but many of us are taught to fear our fertility, but we're never actually taught about how it works, right? We're never taught like, what are the times of the month that we can get pregnant? Like I grew up, I just was talking to, um, and just released a podcast with a, a fertility awareness expert. And we were both lamenting, and maybe this is just like my Catholic upbringing, but like I was taught, you know, like go, you could get pregnant by going into the swimming pool, you know, like we oh, were, yeah. 
Like it's just physiologically absolutely impossible. Uh, there are times in the month where it is impossible for you to get pregnant. But of course, when I started wanting children, you know, like when I had to, it was such a big switch mentally for me, right? So I, I love the idea of normalizing these conversations because as you, as you mentioned, like it's physiology, it's not, you know, but we're taught really to hate our bodies, to fear our bodies. We're not taught about how they work. So there's a lot of, there's a, there's the potential for a lot of misinformation to spread. And, you know, I sort of mentioned like tongue in cheek, like before this like patriarchal world order, like how many jokes have there been about, or how many just names are there for female anatomy or, about our periods, or you said, oh my God, I got to hide the tampon. Like, I remember thinking like, if I bleed through my pants, that's like literally the worst thing that could ever happen to me. So I I would just love to, you know, if if there's one person that listens to this conversation is like, you know what? I am. I want to talk about how having a great sex life is important to me. I think so many women, we are so concerned with nurturing and caring for other people that we forget about ourselves and we forget about our desires. So the first you know, piece of advice that I would, that I would offer if someone's like, yeah, I really want that like legendary love life. And I want the sex to get better with time and not just for us to end up like roommates would be to actually identify the things in your life that you crave, like the desires that you have, sexual, uh, health and fitness, you know, and any other category you can think of, parenting, social life, emotional life, intellectual life, you know, think about your desires and write them down. We so often don't even make our own to-do list, right? It's like, I got to get the kids. I got to feed the dog. The dog has a, you know, dog has his shots. You know, I got to record the podcast, got to do all these things. And then by the end of the day, you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't eat. I didn't eat the way I wanted to. I didn't move the way I wanted to. I didn't do the meditation that I know. It's not, it's not, at this point, it's not necessarily about knowing what to do. It's about doing the things that we know are good for us. So I love the idea of saying, okay, like these are the things that these are the private thoughts that I have at night. Like I dream about, and it can be like the little, small, little nebulous, like I would love to have my nails painted, like to have a manicure and pedicure every week. You know, it can be as frivolous and, you know, whatever as that. Or it can be like, I want to create generational wealth for my children, you know, and for like future generations. And I also want to have like satisfying regular sex where there is safety in our relationship for me to feel like we can experiment and we can play. And I mean, I don't, I can't speak for all women. I can speak for myself. Like I want to feel safe and protected in my relationship. If I feel safe, I feel free to express myself and I feel free to say, Hey, you know what? I'd really like to play. Like, can we try this? Or can we like, can we role play or like this, this really turns me on or whatever. And if you don't feel safe in your relationship because you haven't identified for yourself what it is that you want, expecting your partner to know is just like, it's like you might as well be speaking Chinese to him. Like he's not a mind reader. You have to be able to express yourself and say, these are the things that I want and be, you know, and be, and have a, you know, to create that and cultivate that relationship where there's safety to have these types of conversations. Speaking of safety, we think, you know, strength in numbers. And obviously we talked about a village and how you do need other people to talk with, to normalize these things and sort of relate to each other on some of the things that happen to us, but we don't 
maybe know are normal, you have a community that you offer to your Bettys, if you will. How can people join the community? What will they talk about and learn about there? And also remind everyone how they can find you on all of the different places, your book, your podcast. Let's just say everyone needs to be a friend of yours virtually. (laughs) How can they do that? Sure. So uh, the podcast is called Better with Dr. Stephanie. So if you're listening to It's Complicated on whatever app, you can listen to Better on the same uh, apps or on iTunes and Spotify and Google, all the places. Um, the book is called The Betty Body, A Geeky Goddess's Guide to Balanced Hormones, Intuitive Eating, and Transformative Sex. You can find it on Amazon, um, across the world. Uh, Barnes and Noble in the States has it. If you're Canadian, uh, Chapters Indigo has it as well. Um, so you can find the book there and it's, um, we have it in Kindle version, hardcover, paperback. The Audible is coming out soon. Um, and my community is called Hello Betty. So it's a, it's a worldwide group of Bettys. So however you, whatever is important to you, that's what makes you a Betty. So we talk about what I feel are four really important pillars for female healing. So we talk about fuel. So we talk about nutrition. We talk about fitness, which is, of course, you know, resistance training and different types of cardio. And I'm really big on rehab and flexibility and mobility. Um, We talk about the female psyche. So I've mentioned a couple of times the patriarchal world order. So how some of those you know, wounds coming up as women growing up in a, in a often sometimes toxic um, world can impact our psyche. We talk about setting boundaries. We talk about setting desires like we were talking about. And then the divine feminine, which is something that I have become so fascinated with. So I'm a, you know, I'm a, a, a chiropractor. So I spent, you know, did a lot of my undergrad is in neuroscience and psychology. And then I went on to do chiropractic school. And then since chiropractic school, I can't tell like, it's like hundreds of hundreds of thousands of clinic hours and continuing education. And that is very much a, I'll call it um, masculine type of energy, right? It's like productive getting the accolades, you know, building the practice, getting the grades, you know, all of that stuff. But that's really about doing. It's about being productive and having something to show for it. The feminine energy is something that I, and maybe this is just because I'm a recovering type A personality, but, you know, it's like this, it's this art of being, it's being still, it's being present, you know, it's going out and like hugging a tree, you know, or just listening to the birds and um, it's about surrender and that has been, and maybe it's just my own personal journey to self-actualization, but it's the marriage of the divine masculine, which is great. We want the production. We want the push, right? But it's also when can we, when can we, when can we press? When can we just relax? When can we surrender and slow down and check in with our bodies and not, you know, just live in our, in our brains? Wow. So many awesome places to gather so much helpful information that is just like chock full of just amazing tips, tricks, like ways to get to know yourself. This is great. So everybody make sure you join the Hello Betty community, follow the pod, get the book. And thank you again so much, Dr. Stephanie. It was really awesome to have you on. And don't forget to tune in next week to an episode of It's Complicated, where we talk more dating and relationshipy stuff. And if you want to join our class of master daters, don't forget to follow us on social media at Complicated Show. And It's Complicated wherever you get your pods, rate, comment, and tell a friend. And you can 
follow me at Lauren Leonelli on all the social meets. And you can find me at Jennifer Golden. Love you long time. You're on a hot date with Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. And now it's complicated. <laughs>